you have been CEO, uh, you're president, CEO, and chairman of Albemarle. You've been CEO since 2011, but I think you joined the company in 2003 or four. Yeah, or that's fi- right, fi- the end of 2003. Okay. Since 2011, um, Albemarle stock is flat, right? Yeah. Since your acquisition of Rockwood, right, it's marginally up. Mm-hmm. And that acquisition of Rockwood, if uh, for our listeners... I've written about this in 2014 was announced was done at 14.4 times trailing uh, EBITDA, 6.2 billion, and it was followed quickly thereafter by a sell down of Chemital for 3.1 billion to repay the debt. But uh, Wall Street was uh, somewhat um, saying that you paid too much <laughs> for Rockwood. Bottom line, it was a bold bet. Sefi Gashemi at Rockwood has a very long and storied history. As I view this move by you, it was a bold bet on lithium. I think you were saying lithium was growing two or three times GDP at the time. It's now growing four or five times GDP. I think I met you the first time at your investor day. Um, I have your investor day deck, you know, with me, um, which was 2017. At that time, your market cap was 11 and a half, you know, billion dollars. It then went to kind of 15 billion. We're now sitting here below seven billion market cap. It's really astonishing. So I've been advocating. I, I came into your stock. I'm a shareholder around 90. I never all those years. It just it went too far too fast. But I came in um, earlier this year when I wrote this note, Southern Accents and the Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, you know, L- Loop Capital, who we're going to be having on the podcast uh, as a compliment I spoke to the other day, I think he's a very good analyst. He's saying, like, today you're trading at seven times EBITDA across all your businesses. And to him, that, that type of multiple is for a commodity zero growth type of business, you know, whereas... Lithium has a 40% margin, as I said, is growing four to five times. Even your bromine business, you know, 30% margin is nothing to, to sneeze at. So I guess what has changed in the capital markets, you know, in your time since the Rockwood acquisition over the years? There's been a yeah. lot of changes, but I appreciate your thoughts. What's this disconnect, the cause of it? Yeah, I, I think that, um, first of all, when the very beginning, of an in, of an industry in lithium, and it's all being driven by electric vehicles. And when you look at that astonishing growth, and we've put data out there, all the growth is really driven by EVs. We're very early in the maturation of that business. Uh, this is the first time that we've seen in that maturation of the EV business that we've seen a little extra capacity of lithium carbonate, and price comes down in China. And I think there's been a gross overreaction to that. Um, and, and people are treating lithium as a block trade, right? There was probably, when the stock was up at 130 bucks a share, 140 bucks a share, there was probably too much euphoria that drove it at that point in time, and a lot of people tried to get in at that point, right? They wanted to build more assets. It was easier for them to get money. So in China, they were building some uh, carbonate plants that they were going to source from Western Australia with rock. Those are online now, and we've got some. We've got some for a small time, I think, some excess capacity that's driving carbonate pricing down. Uh, and those who were playing the market, for lack of a better word, or playing that price game, getting more, are getting hurt right now. And the and so it's a block trade. It's unbelievably frustrating. But as I said before, if you look 
it appears if you put a reasonable multiple on our catalyst business, a reasonable multiple on our bromine business, a reasonable multiple on our fine chemistry services business, traditional multiples that have been paid in that industry, you get at, at our price today, below $7 billion market cap, you get lithium for free. And, and you're talking about a, a company that's grown oh, double digits, double digits, and double digits. So I think that we've got to keep delivering profitability, but people, what people don't see is in the, the market grew roughly 50 to 60,000 met tons in this year, in, in 19 is what it'll do. Next year, it ought to grow 60 to 70,000 metric tons. Well, who's bringing capacity on next year? Albemarle's not. SQM's not. They've delayed it. Tianchi's delayed it. So really, you got a two-year spot where you're going to have growth of somewhere around 120 to 130,000 metric tons on the demand side and on a, on a market that's not adding that kind of capacity. So it's going to tighten right back up. And I think that people need to look at it for the long term. I also think what's hurting us is what's over hurting the overall market is there's tension in that market. Shareholders are nervous. Investors are nervous about what's happening with trade with China. How's that going to impact EVs? How's that going to impact rare earths for our catalyst business? What's going to happen here? There's uncertainty. And in times of uncertainty, people get more cautious and they get more nervous. And I think then you have a little bit of news about somebody changing the number or somebody reducing the volume and all of a sudden it, there's a ripple effect and I, I think that's where we're in right now so people for, focusing too much on the short term not enough on the long term and I don't think they're really looking at from the Albemarle perspective the quality of the resources that we've been able to um, acquire uh, the geographic diversity of those resources and our capability to be able to over time build converging capacity to thoughtfully and methodically bring that to the market to meet our customers' demand. Welcome to Lithium Ion Rock, Season 1, Episode 15, Southern Accents, Part 1, Freebird Lithium at Albemarle Corp. That long intro of Luke and me, uh, introduced by the Allman Brothers, Southern Rock, Ramblin' Man, and then Leonard Skinner, another Southern Rock Freebird, is just the beginning of a nice journey uh, we hope, Rodney and I and Luke, hope to bring to all you listeners. Albemarle is the largest lithium company in the world. It is an S&P 500 company. It is one of 50 names that Goldman Sachs uh, puts in their Sustain 50 category. It has a broad, diversified business mix that, in addition to the leading lithium business in the world, includes bromine and catalysts, which are providing excellent cash flow and have reasonable margins in their own right and are growing, um, you know, maybe one or, or, or two and a half times GDP, uh, some 10%, I think, uh, in the bromine business last quarter. Not as great as the four to five times GDP growth that uh, lithium is growing, but uh, to have 
a very stable mix of business enables Albemarle to have an investment grade credit rating, which means that they could raise funding at uh, some 5% and they're going to be doing a bond deal later this year. We've broken this into a two-parter covering the gamut of how we see Albemarle, um, both from an operational perspective and you know political, geopolitical perspective as well. Uh, so we talk about Chile, we talk about China, we talk about Australia, we talk about North Carolina, we talk about Silver Peak, we talk a little bit about uh, Albemarle's competitors, some of the juniors in the space. So with that, um, I am not from the South, but uh, I am nevertheless a rambling man. So hope you enjoy some of the music throughout here. And uh, we're going to give a nod to David Ryan, the VP of Investor Relations at Albemarle, who helped uh, navigate getting this podcast in place with Luther Kissam IV, otherwise known as Luke. You'll notice in the cover art uh, that Luke was very happy to hold up K-I-S-S. That's part of his name, and it is also Keep It Simple Stupid. So, kiss Luke Kissum. Kiss A-L-B. And a final shout out to Haley Quinn, who works with David and handles media communications, who turned me on to this great Charlotte, North Carolina band, the Avet Brothers, which we're going to play in part to broaden Lithium Ion Rocks' listenership among the millennial Jane and George Battery Pack investors. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for joining us. Thanks, man. Excellent, thanks. Um, so let me start. Uh, Luke, there's been lots of market commentary regarding the pace or lack thereof in the move to NCM 811. In what year does Albemarle see the demand for hydroxide exceeding carbonate? Sometime uh, over the next three to four years that I would see that. If we look out further in 2025, what I would see is uh, hydroxide demand being about 2x what um, carbonate demand is. So I, I don't know the exact date or when I see it pass, but sometime during that evolution it'll pass. But I think it'll be about 2x in 2025 versus carbonate. Excellent. And that, of course, ties in with your strategy. Yeah. And uh, given, given that you've, uh, that Albemarle is focused the future production growth on hydroxide. Do you then see um, hydroxide prices commanding a premium over carbonates in the coming years? Well, I think today um, hydroxide has always commanded a premium over carbonate pricing. Uh, for one thing, um, you know, to get the carbonate from brine, you got to go. I mean, to get hydroxide from brine, you got to go through carbonate. So there's an additional cost there. Um, so it, it demands a premium to get a similar return today. And I think you're going to continue to see. That, that premium. I, I don't know if it's going to spread, um, but I continue to believe there'll be a premium on the drop side pricing. Okay, great. 
Great. And on, just on a, on a slightly different tack, we've seen a sustainability as a theme gaming traction with the European OEMs, particularly VW and Mercedes-Benz, who are both targeting to be carbon neutral in the future, which at some point must uh, materially influence uh, their battery supply chains. Does um, Albemarle see sustainability influencing their future strategy? Well, certainly. I think everybody's got to view sustainability. We're dealing with a resource. So uh, if you look at the applicability of Albemarle, uh, water is a critical factor in our ability to produce and how much water we utilize. Uh, and that's why in the Solar de Atacama and also in La Negra, at our recent expansion in La Negra, where we're going from 40,000 metric tons, essentially doubling to 80,000 metric tons, we're doing so in a way where we will use no more fresh water at 80,000 metric tons than we did at 40,000 metric tons. There's a cost to that. There's a capital cost to that. We are uh, implementing and, and, and putting in a, a piece of equipment called a thermal evaporator uh, that's significantly expensive, but it's the right thing to do for the sustainability of the business. Uh, and it will, over time, drive our costs down. So we are focused on sustainability, not only because it's the right thing to do in those communities, but also because it's the right thing to do for our business. Own an electric vehicle. I drive a Tesla. You drive a Tesla. And my wife drives a hybrid. Okay, excellent. Um, Is that the right answer? That, that, that's a good, actually, I said, how, how many EVs do you own and which ones? Yeah. I do not yet. I'm a perfect candidate for my second car. I haven't yet how replaced you, it. How but. How can you run this podcast and not drive an EV? Uh, well, the Model 3 is the one in my sights, but uh, the performance of lithium shares in the past uh, year has affected the timing of that purchase. <laughs> Don't I know that, brother. <laughs> I want to speak a little about Chile, because Chile was uh, a major focus of a lot of news flow last year um, from... SQM side, from Tangshi SQM side, but also from Albemarle side. So I, by coincidence, I was at a hotel, I arrived early, and uh, you had a big lithium event uh, at the Renaissance, and I, and I ran into uh, Ellen Lenny Fasagro. Yeah. So I introduced myself and spoke to her, and I'm going to be at this uh, Fast Markets conference in, in a week or so. I'm, one, speaking on a panel, but I'm also moderating and introducing, and I, I think I'm going to be introducing the segment where, where, where she speaks. But... Uh, an observation that I have was, I looked at her background, she was a diplomat promoting kind of U.S. Chile free trade for the better part of her career. Uh, and there seemed to have been, you know, there are tax issues, there's water issues, there's uh, whatever, transfer pricing questions. This core foot, a lot of noise. Can you just like update us? I haven't heard a lot about it in the past kind of six or nine months, and I, it seems to be resolved. But if you could sh share your thoughts on Chile, yeah. Well, from the short answer is it's resolved. I mean, there was a contractual dispute on an interpretation between Corfo and Albemarle about um, the, the agreement and at what price we needed to offer uh, lithium carbonate to. Uh, potential battery producers who would locate into Chile. Um, we are have run that process. We've reached an agreement. It has no impact on our profitability. Has no impact on our royalties. Um, uh, Corfo is has the the uh, verifiability uh, that they that they requested that they needed. Um, we have the surety that we need. 
Uh, so we've reached an agreement on what that language means, and, and we uh, are moving forward under that process in compliance with those agreements. And uh, to my knowledge, um, Corfo is um, uh, pleased with the uh, compliance at, at this date. We're paying our royalties and uh, in, in moving forward. Uh, we, we have a, uh, a pumping permit, uh, and we are pumping within that permit from a water standpoint. Uh, there are always transfer pricing questions. We have pricing, transfer pricing questions across our businesses, and most companies, multinational companies, will have those kind of transfer pricing issues, and we're addressing them in Chile just like we would address them in any other uh, situation. I wouldn't make a bigger deal out of that than that is. It's business. Uh, if you run an international business, you know all about transfer pricing, and you understand they're trying to maximize their tax base companies trying to minimize their tax payments across the globe. I mean, that's what it all amounts to, um, and it'll all get worked out in time. And wasn't there some lithium metal um, component? Because they, 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 you have to sell 25% of, of, uh, at a discount? To, to, no. to, was, that was to the extent that somebody builds a battery production site you know, or cathode production site in Chile. So a greenfield construction of a, of a construction of that site, uh, we have an obligation to offer them uh, under our price, our price formula, uh, up to 20, is it 20? Up to 25% of, of the volume that we produce there. So at 40,000 metric tons, that would be up to 10,000 metric tons under a formula, under a preferred pricing formula. That's what the disagreement about is, what was that preferred pricing formula. We've reached agreement. Uh, and we're, we're going through that process right now, and we, we don't expect any, any challenge. We don't expect any change to our long-range forecast. But those sales require that there is cathode production in, in the country, right, to someone to, to buy Some, it from you, right? Yeah, somebody's got to build a cathode right. plant in Chile. Is that underway? Like, what's happened with yeah, those there, talks? There, there, I'm sure there are talks right now. There's no construction underway. Okay. Has there been a change in your perception in the past kind of two years since like Panera has been in power now for a year and a half versus Bachelet? No. I mean, I think that we've worked well with the government. They've been fair to us. Uh, we've tried to be uh, fair. They've been very open and transparent. We tried to do the same. So I hadn't seen a, a huge change from, from, from our standpoint. Okay. And going to Argentina, as you, you I guess you, you, you paid the, what was it, $18 million for Antofalo, which had some $60 million invested in it or something like that. Uh, what are your thoughts on Argentina? Uh, that's a greenfield. You know, you, one, Argentina as a country from a sovereign risk perspective, from a Brian perspective, and then Antofalo versus, you know, potentially buying, you know, buy versus build. Yeah, on, on that, what you need to do, obviously, anytime you make an investment, is you got to look at the risk-adjusted return. And, and look, there's a higher risk factor on building a greenfield site in Argentina than there is doing something with MRL in Western Australia or than doing something at Kings Mountain, North Carolina. So we've got that asset. We plan to develop it over time, but it will go in line with the other assets we have. Tallison build out, MRL build out that joint venture. Kings Mountain, then we got other additional resources that we'll be able to exploit to the extent that the market demand says we need it. And I expect the market demand eventually too, but that's something that'll be developed in the future. And, and you would view, uh, let's say, North Carolina, again, the buy versus build, if there was an opportunity, I mean, Liven's very cheap or, or a Cobra, any of these versus, like if an opportunity came up like that, 
as opposed to building greenfield? Well, it, it, the, it, I would look at it. I would look at it. But uh, it's got to be right from a regulatory process. You got to understand what you what you're paying for and how much what, what volume you're getting from that. Uh, if you look at Oracobre, the publicly traded piece of it is a manufacturing venture, and you know the, a Toyota subsidiary controls all the all the sales. So I'm not sure that one makes a whole lot of sense unless you can gain control over that distribution. And that was very important for you in Wagener to have 100% uh, marketing rights. So from yep. your perspective, that is key control of uh, customer interaction. We want to be the face to the market. Okay. What are your thoughts on non-conventional clay assets or geothermal brines? Again, Feng just uh, is participating in Sonora. You have Thacker Pass. There's you have a brine, a bromine asset, I guess. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on, on on those? Well, I just think they're not cost effective today. I think that what we got to focus on with our balance sheet and our focus is what are the best assets around the world, uh, and we need to go take those, and we need to have. Uh, enough volume of the best in the world resources that allow us to maintain a uh, relationship with our customers to meet their demand as well as the best cost structure in the world. So, you know, a lot of talk about the salt and sea. We've looked at that 10 different ways from Sunday uh, about whether that geothermal works, uh, what the cost structure is and what they're doing. I know people are still looking at that. Um, we talked about Quebec and, and, and Namaska. Um, the weather there, um, is that resource going to get done? Are they going to get their funding? I, I don't know. Um, but those are good people that are working hard on bringing in uh, an asset to production to, to meet, a, meet a growing demand. I mean, they know what they're doing. Uh, it's just not, it's, it's tougher. I mean, it's, when nobody's built any of these assets for years and years and years, and now we're trying to rush to build them. And even guys like SQM and Albemarle, Tianchi, we're all stumping our toes a little bit on the construction. If we're honest about it, we're not we're not executing on that capital projects as well as efficiently as timely as we should be. And if you look at the announcements around the globe on the new resources, almost every one of them has been delayed. Almost every one of them comes in at a lower concentration than they said they could come in, and every almost every one of them comes in at a higher cost than they said they were going to do. So. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to sit around and talk about it, like what we're doing today. It's another thing to go out and actually do it and deliver. And I find that's what people are finding out. All I do is talk about it. Yeah, I know. There <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people talking about it, man. So don't don't feel like a lone stranger, right? And, and look, it's just I say that because it's just because it works on a piece of paper doesn't mean it works in practice. And I think that's what Albemarle and other companies are finding out that the technology to bring this nobody had built a lithium carbonate plant nobody had built a lithium hydroxide plant for years and years and years and years and then all of a sudden we're going to try to do it in record fashion and that was it was to meet a demand so it was a noble goal but we didn't give our it cost more than we thought we're going it was going to cost and it's taken longer than we thought it was going to take and when you start it up there are more kinks in the armor than we anticipated and i'm i'm assuming that's what you're going to see across the board that's great. Uh, I met. It's not great. It's bad. Well, well, <laughs> no, it's a it's a great answer. It's a great answer. Um, I met Matt Juno, uh, I think, last year, and I asked him this question, just going around the globe of all the projects, and and he indicated, you know, because I had just come from the the Pilbara, and it was 
was very hot and there were a lot of you know bugs flying in my face and I just had like this great respect for the people who are, are, are working there how difficult that is and he said something to the effect that he would take that any day than the freezing cold right just indicating that Quebec is harder you know than super hot so I, I don't know what the rationale for that was but if you have a, a view to elaborate on that that would be great well, I mean, Matt Gina grew up in Louisiana, so he probably doesn't even own a down jacket or anything like that. He's, you know, he was cold. That's what Matt meant. No, I, I think that, look, it's hard to blow up frozen rock. It's hard to operate when things are freezing outside. When things freeze up, if you look at both of the projects that have been in Canada, they've incurred delays. And Damascus got further than the than the other one. I can't remember what the name of it was, but um, North American Lithium. I don't think oh. that's it. Uh, guy came and taught me when I was in Baton Rouge one time. I just can't remember. Can't remember the name. It went bankrupt. Um, so R R B Energy. Yeah, yeah, that one. So I mean, you know, they they've had a hard time up there. Weather plays a part. Weather definitely plays a part. And and look, FMC or Livent does a great job because if you think about where they are. They're operating at like 14,000 feet or something like that. I mean, those are tough conditions to operate in. And they do a dadgum good job producing uh, quality product, having to bring in their water, having to go over the Andes to ship it. I mean, they have a tough job. And they really, I think, uh, do, do a good job at what they're doing. That's a quality resource, and they find a way to make it work. So I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm saying it's just tougher. Tangshi, uh, you know, really aggressively sought to buy this stake in SQM, which it, it, I observe in the market that, you know, more capital needs to be invested in the space to meet this supply, right? You know, and there's a shortage of capital outside of Albemarle and other investments. So here you have $4 billion, which is an enormous amount of money to borrow off of their revenue to buy a stake in um you know, that's not going to result in any additional supply and they're just going to get a, you know, a piece of dividend. So, uh, you know, th there's geopolitics at play, in my opinion. Here, Chile just joined the Belt and Road, you know, last November. I'm just curious how, what you think of what's happening in the world, U.S., China, lithium within the EV thematic is a, is a China 2025 Thing. This, this seems to me a security of supply at very high levels between China and Chile. You know, kind of making an arrangement to make sure that you know that deal happened. What, what do you What do you think? Yeah, I think that 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 um, I think China wants to ensure that they have the resources necessary to become a world leader in electrification of vehicles, all vehicles, not just cars, uh, buses. It, it, scooters, you name it. They, that's what they want to do. And so if you look today, you know, I talked about it, but there's a 13% non-recoverable VAT for lithium hydroxide and lithium carbonate produced in China, shipped outside of the country. Why is that? Well, it incents you to sell it to battery producers inside China. It incents battery production inside China to service their model. If you look at... Um, Tianxi, I mean, you talk about $4 billion for SQM, but if you go back and look, when they were a converter and they leveraged up to do to take out Taliesin, I mean, that was just as much, that was just as big a kind of leverage jump that they did. And they, you know, they're our partner, and they're good stewards of the lithium. Uh, we're, we have a great relationship with them, and we also compete vigorously with them. They know what they're doing. So I think that 
there are steps that are being taken thoughtfully by the Chinese government and the companies to ensure that they can access all the raw materials that are necessary for them to be a leader in electrification of vehicles. And I think you're going to see that continue. And we can kid ourselves all we want to, but Sefi used to always tell me, because he bid on Taliesin first. I mean, you know, he bid yeah, on yeah, first. Yeah. And I always ask him why he didn't why he didn't make a, another bid. He said, because I, I knew who I was bidding against. And I knew I, I knew I couldn't, I knew I couldn't outbid him. So, and, and look, he was as big a lithium bull, he was as big a lithium bull as I was, so. We interviewed um, Tim McKenna, who was yeah. the head of government relations there, and he said exactly that. They didn't counter bid because they just knew it was, it was impossible. But to your point, it seems to me like uh, China could, or Tangxi could ultimately acquire all of SQM, and then if they are, Directed SQM's uh, carbonate right to China, low cost. They'd have a cost advantage. Have uh, you ever done an interview or a podcast with Julio Ponce? Uh, not yet, yeah. but uh, I'm so, going to be uh, there in ten days, so I'm going to try. <laughs> so they might, but they're going to have to deal with with uh, Mr. Ponce's ownership. And yeah, that SQM is his baby. I mean, he started it from scratch, and he's he and that leadership team. Uh, that with Patricio de Somanac, who's now retired, and, and, and the current leadership, they have built that. It is a, it is a source of pride within Chile, and within those employees. And so, um, they have a clear vision of what they can become, not only in for the company, but for Chile and for the world. And uh, they will not relinquish that um, easily or cheaply. Simon's actually from Forest Hills, where I live. So I slipped that in there as uh, there was me and Luke, and then Luke mentioned Julio. So that was me and Julio, someone I've written extensively about over the past uh, year and a half. As we transition to the Fast Market Santiago Lithium Supply Conference, I thought it would be good to profile the country a little bit with uh, two gentlemen with long experience in Chile. We have uh, Cristobal Garcia Huidobro, the CEO of Lithium Power International. In, in a subsequent uh, podcast, we'll, we'll be interviewing him and his team down in Santiago about the Maracunga project. But we just wanted to talk a bit about Chile, because there's been a lot of news uh, in the past 18 months or so. And a special guest, repeat guest, for our first ever repeat guest, uh, Tim McKenna, who was at Rockwood for a number of years, uh, 10 years or so, in a VP of investor and government relations role. So has also a long experience talking with institutional investors about Rockwood and the Chile business up and through the acquisition by Albemarle. So take it from here, Tim. Howard, thank you. And Cristobal, it's good to be talking to you again. Um, what I would like to do is is go back to some of the items that you discussed in your lunch with investors in New York recently. We have been dealing with what appears to be a sea change in investor perception about which types of lithium and which sources of lithium 
have the most value uh, or are going to provide the most product in the future. Uh, back when I was at Rockwood, uh, the and I would say around up till about 2012, the perception was that brine-based lithium was the lowest cost, would remain the lowest cost, particularly from Chile, and would continue to supply the bulk of the battery-grade uh, lithium material that the battery makers needed. And then when the Talison assets came on into on the market, uh, there was a bit of a change, and at the same time, the uh, the battery makers, it was clear, were starting to have a preference for lithium hydroxide. And this seemed to give the hard rock producers of lithium uh, an advantage which they had never appeared to have before, because as all of us know, you can go directly from uh, hard rock spidamine-based concentrate to lithium hydroxide without going through the, through the carbonate step. Now, you know, I've been in both businesses. I've been in the brine business for 10 years, and I'm now in the hard rock business with Piedmont Lithium. And uh, I think that the truth is more complicated than that. And so, uh, you know, there, why don't you address this idea that perhaps Chile is losing ground, that, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it's not producing as much as expected, and, you know, the, the world's going to hard rock? I don't think... We will see in the future a dominant product, uh, and I mean uh, either a, a hydroxide or lithium carbonate. Uh, I do think that both are going to share probably equals part of, of, of the market. The hydroxide, as of today, is, is, is being used on more efficient batteries, which of course also are a little bit more expensive. There's a very good research from Deutsche Bank, which highlight rebirth of the LFP cathodes. The real market for EVs, it's going to be where the mass is, not on the high end. On the comment of, of Chile, we have to think in two things here. First, developing projects, any kind of project, it's not easy. It's something that can take you between, I don't know, five to seven years from the moment you start with the idea until you are able to start your commercial operation. You have to go through processes of permitting at the beginning for exploring after you have to explore. Then you have to analyze those data. You have to start with your engineering. You have to start with your environmental permitting processes. So it's something that Regardless, you're very efficient. It's something that will take some time. Having said that, for many, many years in Chile, are the only companies that are producing, were SQM and Albemarle. Both of them are located on the, on the Atacama Salar. We have to recognize how big is the Atacama Salar. SQM, uh, until, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, was a fertilizer company. They produce lithium only as a byproduct. When, when the cartel was broken you know, by, by the Russians, they had to reinvent the company, they reinvented the company, and, and the lithium was there. The lithium industry was uh, growing really fast, and uh, it, was, it, it was a very good thing for them. However, their production capacity was, by then, you know, very limited. Again, developing a project, it's not easy. They had some, also some environmental restrictions. 
the, the whole company had to transform itself. Neither SQM or, or, or Albema are the owners of their assets. So basically, they needed not only all the regular permits, but they also needed to renegotiate the, the contracts with Corfo. So, so they were able to increase, you know, their their production. SQM, it was a fertilizer company. All their original processes were developed and optimized for the production of ACL and other specialty fertilizers, but not lithium. So what they have been doing during the last years, efficiencies on different engineering things and design things on their processes just to reach higher efficiencies on the lithium production. My guess, both SQM and Albemarle, quite possible to see an increase not only because they are able to increase the size of their manufacturing capacities or plants or ponds or pumping rates, they will be able to reach higher efficiencies. Those efficiencies can be very significant in terms of new production. Any change their production process needs to go through a permitting process. It has been, I read Reuters three days ago, a sense of Chile be a difficult place to do things. Let's be clear on this. Chile has been growing in terms of its economy for the last 30 years since we got back to, to democracy. And regardless, we have, been, we have seen uh, different administrations uh, from each one, from all the sides in terms of political sides, I mean. And uh, uh, the only constant, because of course all these, uh, all those administrations had uh, different views or different ideas on, in terms of how to do things, but uh, uh, the results have been exactly the same. We have seen a very stable growth in the country. Chile today is a little bit different from the rest of the countries in, in South America. Country risk, uh, our interest rates, our CPI, you know, inflation inflation is, is really low here and it's, it's very well contained. When you are developing a project that, and when you are deciding uh, uh, onto a, a, an investment, a long-term investment like a mining project is for the next enemy for the next 20 or 25 years. One of the most important things is that you need to have political stability, administrative stability, you know, regulatory stability, which is something that we have seen in Chile for the last 30 years, regardless, you know, the side of the political side, I mean, of the, of the, of the government in place. It doesn't mean that in Chile you will get things for free. We do have a very strict regulation. However, it's if you develop the project in the right way and you do things in the right way, you're not going to have any problem. We have seen in Chile for the last years a lot of different new projects on different industries, especially uh, during the last five years on the energy sector, a lot of uh, wind, farm, uh, wind farms companies, a lot of solar, and also on the industrial sector, we have seen a very stable system and very stable conditions during the last 30 years in the country. During the last uh, year and a half in Chile, uh, we went through a change in, in administration, 
from a left-side administration, a more social side, to a more center-right side. Really remarkable how a new administration has been to reactivate you know, the investment in the country. The authorities are really committed to each one of the regions where these projects are located. They have been working side by side with all the companies, you know, trying to speed up things, trying to make all the decision processes in terms of the permitting more efficient. If you do things in the right way, if you stick to what our environmental laws and, and all the regulatory, the, the regulations we have today, things will move faster than, than what was in the past, which is what we have been seeing during the last year and a half in the country. And I'm pretty sure it's what we will continue seeing for, I don't know, at least the next 20 years. You know, I think you've, I think you've addressed a lot of the, the points here. Uh, the, uh, I mean, we always said, I've always said since being in the lithium business 15 years now, that projects take quite a long time. I think there is no other other way to address that. So the fears of rapid growth in capacity that are going to crater price, I think, are very, 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 very uh, erroneous. I think that there's no way to predict forever which way the chemistry is going to go. And uh, I guess finally, uh, um, you know, the, the it's clear that, that Chile will be a player in this market for uh, for a long time.